Beauty is that quality that gives pleasure to the senses or to the mind. And I was reminded this week that it really is a a thing that is in the eye of the beholder. Uh, You see, the other night I was invited to a conversation about race at Ebenezer Baptist Church. And the pastor is a friend of mine, an African-American woman, and 15 or so of us gathered in her sanctuary, at the sanctuary there at Ebenezer. And we began by singing together. And then the pastor, who is a professor at UCCS as well, began by telling a funny story about going up to Woodland Park, up on this mountainside, a few days earlier. It was raining. She had to drive down some non-paved gravelly road to get to some campsite where there were many trees, and she was horrified. She was not feeling that at all. She said, I'm from the south side of Chicago. Get me off this mountainside. (laughs) And the whole time I kept thinking, get me to that mountainside, right? Take me there, you know? I'm like, that sounds perfect. She was not feeling it at all, and I was falling in love with the place. After this meeting is over, I said, I'm going to go up to her and ask for precise directions (laughs) to this mountainside. i got to see this place. It brought not one bit of pleasure to her senses, but to me it sounded like someplace I'd like to get to know. What we find beautiful says something about who we are and where we've been and where we're going. If you want to know a friend in a different kind of way, say to her, or say to him, what do you find beautiful? What do you find of beauty? And when they answer, don't let that be the end of it. Say, tell me about that. Tell me something about that. You'll get a glimpse into their soul, into what they value, into what nourishes them. I was talking to my wife, Marta, and I said, you know, I'm going to talk about beauty. What do I know about beauty other than you, of course? And, um, and she said, look, the flower without nourishment wouldn't be beautiful. It takes water. It takes sunshine. So she said, ask them what nourishes their sense of beauty. What do you, what do you, what do you need to know that you are beautiful? What do you need to know that others are beautiful? What nourishes your soul? Stephanie, my pastor friend who convened this gathering on race, after we sang and after she told that story about Woodland Park, she did a most remarkable thing. She showed us a very tough video, a very difficult video. It was hard to watch. I can't even really describe it to you. It was so hard to watch. It involved a woman and her friend removing a blackhead. You know what I'm talking about? Like those little pimply things you get? That had been there 25 years. It was no good. It was not, it was no fun to watch. It was like six minutes long. She didn't make us watch the whole thing. But it was tough. The removal of it was hard to watch. That movie did not bring any pleasure to my senses or my mind. 
But it was a perfect metaphor for considering the problem of racism in our body politic. We talked about the video. We saw the removal of that difficult blackhead was like what it would take to remove racism from our body politic. It involved persistent effort in the face of neglect. It involved having a friend with you. She didn't do this alone. She had a friend with her. A friend who was courageous, who wouldn't turn away from the problem. It involved hard work. It involved courage and resilience and imagination. And when the video showed the blackhead being removed and being done with, both people involved, the person with the blackhead and the person who was in solidarity with her in that removal, squealed with relief, squealed with delight. It was an amazing, this movie was an amazing conversation starter, and it was beautiful. Not the video. The video was gross, right? But the conversation and the meeting was beautiful because we all came together closer in having this common experience. We sat there in our discomfort and we stayed with the process. We trusted the process. And we shared with one another our insights and our wisdom. And when when we did that, we became a community. What was remarkable in this story was the power of the transformation at the heart of it all. We transformed a kind of gross video into a powerful teaching tool. We transformed a group of 15 individuals, all there for separate reasons, into a beloved community who wanted to know one another and our motivations, our dreams, our hopes, our fears, our aspirations, our nervousness, all of it. It was beautiful. Why do I tell that particular story in a service about beauty? Because beauty is all around us if we have eyes to see. On the, on the one hand, that was just a meeting, like any other meeting that all of us go to, right? But it was beautiful to me because I decided to truly look. I decided to be truly present in that moment. I decided to invest and to risk and to truly look and to see before you beauty is an act of deep intention. Yes? Yes. Rachel Carson, the environmentalist, tells a story about noticing and intentionality. One summer night out on a flat headland, all but surrounded by the waters of the bay, The horizons were remote and distant rims on the edge of space. Millions of stars blazed in darkness, and on the far shore, a few lights burned in cottages. Otherwise, there was no reminder of human life. My companion and I were alone with the stars, the misty river of the Milky Way flowing across the sky, the patterns of the constellations standing out bright and clear, a blazing planet low on the horizon, It occurred to me that if this were a site that could be seen only once in a century, this little headland would be thronged with spectators. But it can be seen many scores of night in any year. And so the lights burned in the cottages, and the inhabitants probably gave not a single thought to the beauty overhead. And because they could see it almost any night, perhaps they never will. Right? 
It's an act of intentionality. It's an act of noticing. It's an act of walking away from the numbness and the sleepwalking that we do through life. A contemplative wrote a few years ago that that she attended a contemplative retreat. And on the second day, she was invited to be out in nature and spend some time imagining God's profound love for creation and to participate in it. So she says, I spent several hours that afternoon with an old oak tree, grand and gnarled and glorious. I had no doubt that God loved this particular tree with passion and fullness, and I could feel my heart slowly expand with joy, imagining God's delight in its beauty. On the fourth day, we were invited to turn this love we imagined for nature inward and to sense how that same divine love and delight were also directed toward each of us human creatures. It was such a simple exercise, but it led to a profound moment. Delighting in this love, delighting in this beauty, I was invited to see how God loves the profound beauty of every person in this way. And suddenly the world everywhere I looked was charged with the grandeur of God. Never lose an opportunity of seeing anything that is beautiful. For beauty is God's handwriting, a wayside sacrament, the Eucharist of the oak tree, the communion of the beloved. Welcome it in every fair face, in every fair sky, in every fair flower, and thank God for it as a cup of blessing. How do we do this? How do we do this? First, I think we have to give ourselves over to it entirely. If we're not going to miss the wonder of all those stars in the Milky Way, if we're not going to be another one of those people in their cottages lost to the miracle and the beauty of the stars and that oak tree, we have to give ourselves over to it and see ourselves as agents of profound beauty. All right, so Babette's Feast. Anybody seen that movie, Babette's Feast? Nine, it's a few of you have. 1987, based on a short story. Babette is the heroine, the, the, the woman at the center of the story. And until recently, she had been a celebrated chef in Paris. But during the political riots of 1871, she lost everything. Her restaurant, her livelihood, her family. And she flees for her life to rural Denmark and is taken in by two aging sisters who are doing everything they can to keep alive a religious community founded by their father. Nothing seems to be lifting their spirits. And out of the blue one day, Babette receives a letter. She has won the lottery. I know, right? It's great. Out of the blue. On the spot, she decides to provide a feast for these people who have tried so hard to keep alive this religious community. 
She wants to give them a proper French dinner. So she imports all the ingredients. The champagne and the wine and the liqueurs and all of the food. But not only that, but also the dinnerware and the silver cutlery and the tablecloths and the crystal glassware. And the film zeroes in on the beauty of that table. It's extravagant abundance. At first they're frightened and suspicious, but pretty soon they mellow into gratitude and thanksgiving. And as the scene unfolds, as the last scene comes, they kind of all stumble out of their feast, a little drunk, very happy, and they go to the village square, and around this fountain they sing songs of thanksgiving, and they dance together. After all these years, they finally touch the wellspring and their hearts are overflowing. And someone says to Babette, now that you are rich, surely you will be going back to France. Can you imagine what she says? She says, rich, what are you talking about? I spent the whole lottery on this feast. Every penny I had went into that banquet. An extravagant sacrifice is in one sense wasted because these poor peasants cannot really comprehend the magnitude of the gift. And by morning, when they're sobered up, they'll probably have lost much of its benefit. But no matter, the banquet table is set before them anywhere. In her no-holds-barred generosity, Babette offers these broken, dispirited souls a taste of reassurance that their long lives of faithfulness have not been in vain. You too can taste beauty, she says. The act of self-giving, giving ourselves completely over to that abundant extravagance at the heart of all creation brings new realms into being. It shows what God is like in new and different ways. God is the prodigal who squanders God's self. Isn't that beautiful? If we are God expressing, if we're God walking around, we are invited to squander our lives in the service of beauty and extravagant abundance. Does that make sense? Here's how I wrote it a few years ago. I'll close with this. The first part is about grace. The second part is about um, screwing up. All right? And the third part is about the beauty and extravagance at the heart of all creation. All right? So let's begin. Mostly life is like this, it's called... Sometimes life is like this. A minister friend, Meg, was invited to moderate a forum between two groups that, truth be told, would each rather the other not exist. One side spoke and shouted. The other side spoke and shouted. Words passed like light, invasive and all-encompassing, but little understood. Exhausted, the combatants turned to Meg. Have you anything to add? If you're in this camp, Meg said, God loves you. If you're in that camp, Meg said, God loves you. And she sat down. 
Grace abounds. Grace abounds. Sometimes life is like this. I once went to a meeting with my district executive in Delaware in um, the Unitarian Universalist tradition where I'm ordained. We have all this hierarchy and, you know, rules and regulations and all this silliness. Sometimes life is like this. I went to a meeting with the district executive in Delaware. Assuming I knew her position, I joked with her. Oh, yes, I'm a Unitarian Universalist Christian, but my Christology is appropriately low. What is wrong with the high Christology, she said. Two weeks later, I learned that she left our place for a Catholic place. Assuming I knew her position, I forgot to hear her voice. Assuming I knew her position, I forgot to invite her into conversation. Presumption abounds. Presumption abounds. But mostly life is like this. On a Thursday afternoon, I said to the one I value and trust, should we go to the water for the day, spend some time on the bay? Yes, I think so. We drove She sang the songs of her childhood. We watched a sunset. We heard a dog bark. The boats slowly made their way under the bridge. A Navy pilot navigated his craft. The woman at the Back Creek Inn gave us directions to a cafe where we were served wine and laughter. Life abounds. Life abounds. Beauty abounds. Beauty abounds. Above us there is beauty, below us there is beauty. To our right, to their left, there is beauty. Behind us, before us, all around is our beauty. If we look, if we notice, if we engage in acts of intentionality, and if we surrender ourselves to the beauty that is before us, if we give ourselves over to the extravagant abundance and the beauty at the heart of all things. May it be for you, my friends. May it be for you.